This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. You know, the authors of Scripture show us that there is more to your faith than just praying a prayer. It's more than just getting a convert, but it's learning how to live out your faith. There are fruits, there are evidences of our faith. And the writers in scripture help us to understand that accepting Jesus Christ is the beginning, but there is much more. There's a deeper understanding of what real faith is. Now, the key verse for our spiritual growth campaign entitled Authentic is found in 1 John chapter 5, and we want to read it to you, verse 13. This is the key verse for all of the weeks. Let's look at it together. John writes in 1 John chapter 5, I write these things to you. I write what? Well, the whole letter, this is the end of the letter. So he has said everything, and now he says, this is the reason I'm writing this letter to you. Now, I'm reading it to you at the beginning to say, this book is what John would want you to know and to study and to understand so that you really understand what is an authentic, genuine faith look like. So he says, I write these things to you, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So believers, Christ followers, so that you may know that you have eternal life. So I'm writing these things, those of you who are Christ followers, so that you may know that which you believe is leading to eternal life. Now there's another writer in scripture, the apostle Paul, who said the same thing. In fact, Paul did a lot of writing about this when you look through his books because he wanted you as a Christ follower, he wanted you to know what did it mean to truly follow Christ. Let me read this to you from Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, basically the same thing. In verse five, Paul says it this way. He says, examine yourself. Underline that if you're taking notes. I hope you are. Examine yourself. Why? To see whether you're in the faith. Test yourself. Examine yourself. Test yourself. To do what? To see if you're in the faith. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Christ is in you. There's a fruit that shows that you're a Christ follower. Unless, Paul says, you fail the test. Test yourself, examine. And I trust, he says, that you will discover that you have not failed the test. So over the next few weeks, we're gonna be looking at the tests, the signs, the fruit, the evidence, the very things that helps you to examine your life and know if you're in the faith or not. Now, because we're starting a new book study, I want to give you for just a moment a little of the background of the book that you're going to be studying with us. 1 John is actually a letter that's written by the Apostle John. Now, we've just been studying the book of Revelation. John wrote Revelation off of the vision that he got on the island of Patmos. So it's the same author, the Apostle John. 
The Apostle John is also the same author that wrote the book of John. So when you look here, you've got the book of John, you have the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then you have the book of Revelation. Now, John is writing 1st John to a community of Christ followers. To believers, it was probably the church of Ephesus. If you remember, the Apostle John pastored that church. Now, honestly, it's a simple book. It doesn't cover a wide range of topics, but what he really does, as I've already said, is he helps us to examine ourselves and our faith. And he says, put your faith to the test. So today, I've just simply entitled it the series, and that is authentic. But what I really want to do today is I want to look at a few of the tests. Over the next several weeks, we're going to look at a lot more, but the test of salvation. So turn with me to the book of 1 John. We're going to walk through right now. I got three simple thoughts, three simple sermon uh, points, so to speak, today, but they're going to come from the first book of 1 John. Let's look here together. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to read down the verse 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our own hands and touched, this we proclaim, circle that, we proclaim. Proclaim what? Concerning the word of life. Now I'm gonna come back to this, but remember the apostle John wrote the epistle of John, the, the, the gospel uh, of John, and John 1.1 talks about this metaphor of Jesus being the word of life. In verse two, the life appeared and we have seen it and testified to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the father and has appeared to us. Again, we proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship or communion with us. And our fellowship or communion or relationship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to you to make your joy or our joy complete. So the first thing that John wants everybody to understand here is that Jesus Christ really lived, that Christ really lived. And so if you're writing, uh, 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 let me say it another way, if you're taking notes, writing down some of these thoughts, the first thought I want you to get from 1 John and the first test that we've got to understand. Now, it's kind of like when you take a, a course the first day or two, right? There's kind of like an introduction and you're kind of waiting for the good stuff, the, the meat of the course. Well, John's starting off right away. And so he's making some, some declarations and he's, he's just kind of laying some things out before he gets into these other topics that are gonna be much more, if it will be, juicy for us or, or something that we can really inspirationally hold on to. And what John starts with is huge. In fact, let me say, I really think that this is a problem in the church today, right? The, 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 the big church, not, not the little church of, of, of Christian Life Center, but, but the big church, the worldwide church. And it's the first test that John is pointing out is, do we really know what we believe? 
Do we really understand what our faith is rooted in? Do we really understand what leads to a true faith as a follower of Jesus Christ? So John starts right here and John says, do you know what you believe? You see, the first task is that you've got to know what is your belief in God. And man, we're living in a time and an age more than ever that you and I as believers, we've got to know what we believe. We got to know why we believe it. We've got to know what is real, which authentic and what is counterfeit. When we begin to hear things in the news, in the media, on social media, from our friends, maybe even our family, do we know what's true? Do we know what's authentic? Do we really understand? And can we really go back to say in the word, wait, 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 that's not right. This is not what God says. That This doesn't line up with scripture. So John is starting right here. And John wants you to know right away, Jesus really lived. Jesus Christ really walked this earth. He was alive. We touched him. We saw him. We felt him. We heard him. It was something that was real. See, John was one of the last, at this point, he was one of the last living apostles. This book, 1 John, was written around, you know, they don't know exactly, AD 70 to AD 90. So it's approximately 50 years after Christ has, has gone on to be with the Father in heaven. So uh, approximately 50 years after Jesus of Nazareth walked on this earth. So the first generation of believers who had had this encounter with Jesus now are beginning to die off. And John being one of the last living apostles is writing to Christians who personally never encountered Jesus. They never walked with him. They, they didn't talk to him. They didn't touch him and feel him and, and hear him. They didn't sit uh, uh, by the Sea of Galilee and hear his sermons. They didn't see his miracles. And so here, they had had an experience with him because of what somebody else believed. And so what happens is now they're beginning to doubt. Questions are, are beginning to rise up. You know, these, 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 these thoughts that we can have. Did it really happen? Is it really true? What you've been teaching and what I've been hearing, is that really the way it is? And the same thing happens today because we're just like these that John is writing to now is that we're removed. We didn't touch him physically. We haven't heard him in an audible way like, like the disciples would have and the, and the crowds that followed him of this day but yet we believe and we're following. But in that, there can be questions, there can be doubts. And man, then all, oh, just as in the New Testament, many beliefs begin to come in and, and, and it begins to make it very convoluted and you're trying to understand. And so John is writing. John says, I've seen him. I've walked with him. I've touched him. I mean, John the beloved, this is who we're talking about. John the beloved, the one that Jesus loved intimately. John is saying, I've touched him. I saw him. I've heard him. I, I was there with him. And John is saying, I'm telling you, he was alive. It was real. You see, when we get further away from the encounter, it's easier to have these doubts and these thoughts. And John was letting them know. And that's why he says, I proclaim it to you. I proclaim this. And man, he uses a big word here in a lot of the translations that sometimes we can't understand it in the scripture. He says, he was manifested. 
Well, what does that mean? He was, he was revealed. That which was, that which was a part of the deity of the heaven, he came down and he was visible. And that which was hidden is now no longer hidden. And he was with us. He that was from the beginning was with us. So what is John saying? Now, I know, don't lose me. Don't click off yet because it's gonna take us a little deeper. John is saying he existed. He was real. Not only did we see him, not only touch him and feel him and all of that, but John says we experienced him. And it was as though John was writing and John was saying, this experience I had with him, man, those words keep ringing in my ears. He, 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 he had a way and that which he did shaped our lives. And, and it's so vivid to my eyes today, this fellowship. He called it fellowship, this communion, this relationship with the Father. And now he, uh, Christ, is with the, son, uh, with the Father in heaven. The Son is with the Father. But it was such a real experience. That which was physical is now spiritual. It's, it's near to our hearts. And, and because it's near to our hearts, it's something that I want you to know is so true. Let me take you back to the book of John. Back to the book of John for a moment. Remember, the same author, the Apostle John, but in the Gospel of John, in John chapter three, and, and in verse three, he says this. He says, in reply, in reply, Jesus declares, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And then he goes on to describe in verse six what that is. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. What John is saying is we can experience him. Now, a test of your faith is what you believe, and you've got to believe. Your salvation is rooted in the fact that Jesus came out of the deities of the heaven, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Christ comes down and takes on the form of a man. And as he does, he walks with us. John, again, I saw him, I can touch him. We, we, we heard him, he walked with us and we can experience the, the birthing of what happens in the Spirit through him. What John is saying to you and I is that God is not far off. He's not distant. He's not remote. He's not disinterested in you. He's not uncaring about what's happening in your life. No, God is there. He's not left us to defend, uh, to defend for ourselves and, and walk on this earth all by ourselves. No, he says, God revealed himself to you and he loves you and he cares for you and he wants to have fellowship with you. Can I just hear an amen? Tap it in the, in the chat box if you're watching online that God, God wants to commune with you and I. Now, this is so vital. And this actually, I think, is where we've got to pause for a moment. We're so quick to want just inspiration. We're so quick just to want to feel good and, and, and yes and amen. But every now and then, we got to stop. And we got to remind ourselves what we believe, why we believe it, who God is, what's the nature of God, what's the character of God, what's the ways of God, what are the principles and the purposes of God? Because if you don't know that, then life's gonna be confusing. If you don't know that, you're gonna get frustrated with things that are happening, and if you don't know it, you'll easily be deceived. 
Doubts will come. Things will happen. The enemy of your soul will come and he'll raise up arguments against God in your mind, and your spirit. If you don't know what you believe, if you don't understand that God loves you and you can actually have fellowship with him, that he comes and, and he wants to help you through the things of your life. You can talk with him. You can relate to him. You can share with him that, that he walks with you and I through our day, that I can cast my problems on him, that he takes a weight of heaviness, that I can trust him no matter what I'm going through, that he's with me and he'll see me through it, that he'll give me strength to help me conquer no matter what I'm I'm going through. I've got to know that in my spirit or things get so confusing in life. You got to know what you believe. John says he actually lived. He loves you. He wants to have fellowship with you. He is someone. He revealed himself. He manifested himself. You can commune with him, have fellowship with him. And so then he's like wrapping it all up. It's kind of like a, a therefore. Therefore, when you know that, your joy is complete. Your joy is complete. Why is it complete? There is something in you. Joy is, is an inner gladness that's in you. It's, a, it's an inner satisfaction. It's a, a deep-seated pleasure of assurance that ignites a cheerful heart that we know, that we know, that we know. It's something that's divine. Joy is divine. Happiness is of this world and of this life. It's the happenstances of life. But joy comes from God above and it's rooted not in the earthly and the material things and, and all of the cheap, if it would be triumphs of this life, but it's a, it's a part of the work of the Spirit of God. It's the joy of the Holy Spirit that's given to you and I that our joy may be complete. It's divine. Why is it complete? It's because we know him. Because we find something that's deep. It, it springs from our faith. It springs from deep within. It's not dependent on my circumstances or my happiness, but it's depending on that which comes from God above. And it's given to me. It's given to you as we receive him as our Lord and our Savior. Let me look at another verse here. Man, I just hope that you can grab what John is going to share with us. Here in John 15, verse 13. Uh, I'm sorry, Romans 15, 13. No, I'm, I'm getting all mixed up. John 15, 11, he says this. John says, I've told you this, that my joy, Jesus is saying, may be in you, John's writing, and that your joy may be complete. We understand when we receive, when we embrace when we, when we come to understand the, the character and the nature of God, but more than that, we experience, that's what John is saying in 1 John, we experience by our faith what God is wanting to pour out to you and I. Our joy is complete. Then over to Romans 15, the two 15s mess me up. John 15, and in Romans 15, verse 13, Paul says it this way. May the God of hope fill you with what all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the point that we've got to embrace here 
is that when we know what we believe and in whom we believe and we've received that, there is a joy that's released to you and I and it overflows even in affliction, even in trials, even in tribulation, there's a joy that can overflow. In fact, Paul says that in 2 Corinthians 7, 4, great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort and I am overflowing with what? With joy in all our affliction. So Paul is saying, no matter what my afflictions, no matter what I'm going through, there is a joy that's overflowing and that joy is complete in him. So the first test of our salvation, and it sets us up. It's kind of like the introduction of a course Paul uh, and John is saying here, the first test is, do you know what you believe? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe in who he is and what he can do? The second test of your salvation takes us into verse five. First John one, back to first John, first John one. Now look at verse five. I'm gonna read down to verse 10. This is the message we have heard from him and we declare to you. God is light. Now that's a familiar passage reminding you of what John wrote over in the gospel of John. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God. He gives us the light analogy. He's using the same metaphors and analogies. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have communion or fellowship, relationship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all our sin. In verse eight, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. See what John is saying here, what a powerful, powerful passage. John is saying to you and I, is if you profess to possess the light and, and you profess to dwell in the light, meaning you've received the gospel of salvation in that you're in Jesus Christ, that you're a Christ follower. He says, if that's what you're saying, if you're saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower, I'm, I'm in the light, that's what he's saying. I'm in the light, meaning I'm a Christian. I, I, I've given my life to Christ. Man, when you look at the statistics of how many in America say they're Christians, this verse right here would be for them. Because John is saying, if you say, I'm a Christian, then there will be evidence in your life. You will show the evidence in your spiritual life. So the second test that you've got to write down is how do you live? What do you believe? Do you really believe in what's gonna save you? Do you really believe in Christ, the one that will bring complete joy, that he was the one from the Father, that you can have an experience with him? Do you really believe that? And then secondly, how do you live? Does the fruit, the evidence of your life show that you're a Christ follower? 
See the problem with sin, and he, he's referring to this over and over again. If we claim, if we don't believe, if we don't say, if we don't confess these sins in our life, the problem with sin is it, it causes the, the, it, it causes us to deceive ourselves. There's a, a way that sin has a, has a blinding effect. We rationalize and compromise in it, and it blinds us. You see, sin is the cause of an unhappiness in our, in our world, and, it, and it's just that which is creating the chaos. You see, sin promises you. It promises you and I that we'll have a life of joy, but at the end, it really produces sorrow. It promises that, man, you're going to have the pleasures of life. It's going to be fun. You're missing out if you don't give your life to the Lord. But the problem with the pleasures of sin are they're tempor temporary. They're, they're only for a season, Paul says in Hebrews eleven twenty five. God's pleasures, on the other hand, they last for all eternity. So what is John doing? Man, John is shooting it straight. Man, he's just, he's just getting real with us. And he's saying this to you and I. He's saying, if truth and righteousness are absent from my life, if truth and righteousness are absent from your life, then no matter what I say, no matter what I may confess, the reality is I don't possess, he calls it eternal life, which is Jesus Christ. I, I'm not really in the faith. I've got to question. Now, people will say, oh, you can't judge me. You, you can't judge me. No, John is saying, I don't have to judge you. The evidence in your life judges you. The fruit in your life judges you. So I can go before the judge. I can, I can have a case against me. And the prosecuting attorney can have all of this evidence, all of these things that would show that I am guilty. But I can say, you can't judge me, judge, because you don't really know what I feel or what I sense or what I believe. And the judge would say, no, no, no. There's evidence against what you're saying that would prove otherwise. Well, that's what John's doing. He's hitting you and I straight. And he's saying a test. And it's a huge test. And quite honestly, I gotta be honest, this is something that I talk a lot about because of what we see in the world today. All around you and I, John is saying to us, there's a test, and the test is how do you live? If the truth and if righteousness are absent from my life, no matter what I say, the reality is I don't possess eternal life. He's saying straight up, you can't belong to God if there is sin that still remains in your life because God is a holy God. And because he's a holy God, there can be no darkness at all. And so he's using the metaphor of light and darkness. He is the light. And if I'm in sin, if I'm not living in truth and righteousness, then I lie to myself and I make him a liar. So the question that I would have for you and Honestly, it's a question that personally I hope that you'll wrestle with today and this week. The question that I would ask you is, what would people say about you? Would people say you walk in the light or do you walk in darkness? Does your life show fruit? Does your life show that you're a believer? Are you a covert believer? Are, are you hidden? Do people around you know what you really believe and what you stand for? Or does your life show something different? 
Does your life show something that's contrary to what the scripture says is a true believer? You see, the reality and the problem that we have today is sin gets minimized. Sin becomes something we rationalize, we, we justify, we redefine it, right? We, we, we begin to give it different terms. We, we explain it away because of our circumstance, because of my background. We begin to convince ourselves, it's different for me. Others are the sinners, not me. And we begin to get to a place that we're darkened. We deceive ourselves. And John even says we begin to defame God himself. We make him a liar because we're not living in the light but indeed we're living a different, a different way that honors him. Guys, I want you to hear me today. The real issue of sin is a heart issue. It's a core issue. It's an issue of my heart. It's, it's, it's something within that I've got to deal with. Don't miss it. John is saying this. John is saying sin is a problem and you can't, Ignore it. You can't rationalize it and justify it. You've got to deal with it if you're really going to be a Christ follower. Now, let me say to you what Jesus said himself, or let me say it another way. Let me read to you what Jesus says himself about this. Turn with me to Mark chapter seven and verse 20. Look at the words of Jesus. Then he added, Jesus added, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft and murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires. I mean, he's going at it. Envy, all of these things, slander, pride, foolishness, all of that comes from the heart, comes from within. All of these things come from within and they are what defiles you. So what Jesus is saying to you and I is the source of evil comes from within. But many people today, many that would call themselves Christ followers today, they don't think sin is a problem for them. They've confessed They've prayed a prayer. They've come to an Easter service or to a Christmas service and they've given their lives to the Lord. They, they, they raised up their hands. They walked forward. Now we make it easy. They send a little text in, whatever it is. And, and as they do it, they walk away saying, I'm a Christian now. Sin's not a problem for me. But what John is saying here is if we claim, if we claim we have no sin, then we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. He says, sin has blinded you. It's deceived you. Sin has now become something that, that has you in a place that you don't even think it impacts you anymore. But what he's saying is no, 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 no. Sin is not just a condition. He says, sin is an action. It's a behavior. Go back to what he said. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, he's saying it's something that comes from our lives. So what's the evidence? What's the fruit? What's the exam? What's the test that he's saying to you and I is we've got to look at how do we live? How do I live? What's the passion of your heart? What's the passion of your life? Now, true Christ followers right now, you're saying, yes, you get it. You understand it. 
But if you're not right where you should be with God, I want you to hear me. Don't just turn away. Don't just say, oh, you can't judge me. John is saying, listen, listen, listen. He was real. You can have an experience with him. Your life can be changed, but you've got to understand who he is, what he's done, and that it should change your life. You see, if I don't have a desire to live righteously, if I don't have a desire to be what God wants me to be, if I am not sensing the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my life anymore, then I've got to ask myself, I've got to ask myself, and you've got to ask yourself, am I really walking with God? Another way that some people may say it is, are you really saved? Do you have the fruit? I mean, when we go back to what Paul says, Paul goes back and says, I hope you pass the test. I hope that you can say yes. And I hope that you can say that this is how you're living, but you've got to examine yourself. So true salvation is gonna manifest in the heartfelt desire in my life and in your life to obey him. And when we walk like that, there's a brokenness. There's a humbling. There's a yielding. There's a constant evaluation and a constant determination to say, God, I want to live for you and I want my life to honor you. So the first test was a test of what do you believe? The second test, John says, is how do you live? And that brings us to the third and final test. I'm gonna invite our musicians to come back. The third and final test says this. In 1 John 1, 9, I already read it, but let me read it again. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The third test is really simple, and that is, are you walking? Now hear me, don't miss this. Are you walking in the power of forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is two things, receiving forgiveness and giving forgiveness. And forgiveness is powerful. And we've got to walk in the power of forgiveness. Why? It's because he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us. But before that, remember, he says, if we claim that we have no sin, we make him out to be a liar. What he's saying to you and I is sin is a problem. And we have to examine, we have to search, we have to look into our life. And when we do, there is something that's got to happen and it's a test of your salvation. And that is, are you taking it to the Lord? Are you finding forgiveness from God? Are you laying it before him and letting him cleanse you and purify you? You see, you gotta understand real forgiveness to catch this point. I don't want you to miss it. Is that forgiveness from God Mercy and grace from God is released into your life when you confess. You see, when you confess your sin, in that moment of confession, in repentance, in acknowledging the sin, forgiveness comes. Mercy and grace God comes. God gives it to you. Guilt's gone. Shame's gone. Regret is gone when God truly forgives you. So John is saying, we've got to get rid of sin in our life. How are we living? Well, when we look and we see there's some things in my life that aren't lining up. Now, remember, he's writing to a second generation believer and he's saying to those that might be having doubts, those that might be compromising, those that are dealing with questions of, is God real and can he do it again? And, and is this the way it should be? He's saying, listen, you got to get back to the basics. 
We gotta get rid of sin in our life. We gotta confess it. And when we do, God will forgive. He'll cleanse us. When we acknowledge our sin, when we repent of our sin, it's a deep sorrow that brings a brokenness that says like David, I have sinned before you, O God. And all of us have to do that. In fact, Paul says in other places, examine yourself daily. Daily examine your thoughts. Daily examine your attitudes. Daily examine your actions. Daily bring it before the Lord and confess it and receive forgiveness from him. A part of confessing is renouncing it and saying, God, I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to participate anymore. I want my faith to be real and genuine. And when we get forgiveness, man, we get released, man. The debt the obligation, the, the penalty, it's removed. If you get forgiven of something, it's no longer held against you. Well, when God forgives you of your sin, man, it's like you don't owe that debt no more. That loan, that debt, that payment, that penalty, it is gone. And now you can stand there knowing that you are debt free, that you are forgiven. You don't have to punish yourself anymore. You don't have to do penance. You don't, you, don't, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to just live in the guilt and the shame any longer. You can know that you're off the hook. It's been forgiveness because you've been, you've been forgiven because through the confession, God's mercy and grace, he just comes in and he wipes it away. He is faithful. He is just. He will forgive us of our sins. He will purify us of all the unrighteousness. He will remove it. It's not there any longer. Can I hear an amen? That's the foundation of our faith. Let me close with this passage. In chapter two, it links to chapter one. Chapter two in verse one. Chapter two, verse one my dear children. Now remember, John is aged. He's the last living apostle. He's writing to a second generation of believers. And so for him, I mean, he's the, the older apostle writing to those that are newer or younger in the Lord. And so he says, my dear children. He's writing to the church. My dear ch children. I write this to you so that you will not sin. I'm writing this, all of chapter one. I'm writing it so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. It's Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. I'm glad he, he included that. What he was saying to the church of Ephesus here is that we have one that paid the penalty, the atoning work, atonement. He wipes it away. He takes it away. He forgives us. We have the assurance because of what Jesus did for you and I. Jesus paid the debt. Christ becomes our representative. We are cleansed of our sin. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus washes it. No matter how deep the stain, no matter how much you and I have messed up, no matter what we've done in our past, 
We can walk in the light. We can receive forgiveness. The mercy of God can be released to you and I, but we must confess it. We must yield it. Proverbs 28, Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals his sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses it and renounce them find mercy from God. So John says, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. John just wanted them to understand the deep, 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 deep damage that sin does in our soul and in our relationships. I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But he also wanted them to know that when they sin, that we have a father that we can turn to and we can find forgiveness from and he will set us free. Can I just hear an amen? Praise God. God is faithful. He is just. He will forgive us of our sins. He will cleanse us of all unrighteousness if we confess our sins to him. So in this first week, this first week, kind of the introduction week of the course from 1 John, from the Apostle John, was what do you believe? See, it's a test of your faith. Do you really believe? I worked with people from all over the world, different religions all over the world. What you believe is important. You've got to know what you believe and why you believe it. Moments like this, the teachings like this grow you and strengthen you. What do you believe? Secondly, how do you live? And thirdly, are you walking in the power of forgiveness? If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.